So the message, winning the war within, I immediately thought of a tug-of-war. I don't know why I thought about a tug-of-war. You know, we used to do that as kids. You get a long rope and get the three, you know, two or three people on one side and the other side, and, and you recruit the, you know, the biggest and strongest person to be on your team, hopefully the anchor. And uh, that's what I immediately thought of, the tug-of-war within. I thought about an actual tug-of-war and uh, so I went online. I didn't know if that was just kind of backyard stuff or after school or what. Wow, that's a, that's a global sport. I was amazed. Tug of war, global sport. And I learned some things. I mean, there's, there's positions of your feet. There's positions of your body. There's, you know, there's all kinds of conditioning that goes on in order to win a tug of war. And then I watched the, several teams in that tug of war. Wow, I mean, groanings and exertions and, and, and sweat coming off their forehead. It's just, just phenomenal. It's intense. And it's over so quick. But it's an incredible battle that they, that they engage into in a, in a tug of war. And today we're going we're gonna to talk about um, winning the war within. Now, as I dove into this section here in the last part of, of Romans 7, I came to understand that there's two theological interpretations of this, this section. I wasn't really aware before, never really thought about it, but the first one is, is that the Apostle Paul is actually admitting that he struggles in life. He's, he's given his life to Christ, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's times that he wrestles out things in his life, and so that he is a follower of Christ and yet gives the understanding and recognition that there's sometimes a war that is taking place in his mind and in his life. So that's one uh, theological view of this section. The, uh, the second view, which I was not aware of, is that the Apostle Paul is actually talking about his life pre-Christ, meaning these were the battles that he fought before he knew Christ. And then after he knew Christ, again, that the suggestion was made that he didn't have those battles much anymore. So he's talking about pre-Christ. Well, as I kind of assess those two interpretations, I kind of reject the second one. And I do that based upon, number one, the language that he uses. I mean, it's, it's very personal and it's very present. Now, Paul is, if, if you followed his writings, there's times that he says, you were this way, or this was past, but in this section, it's all current. So I would have to believe that it's, he's talking about the fact that we know Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet there's times that we still battle in our mind and in situations that we're in. So my view is I would, I would reject the fact that the, the viewpoint of that this was pre-Christ, this is in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's still battling it out. Um, yeah, so anyhow, that's where we're at. You can take this section, and you can really put it into three different groupings. The first one is my problem, or your problem, or Paul's problem. So my problem. The second would be the perpetrator, and then the third would be God's promise. So that would be the three the three areas of how we can look at that. So let's jump in today and let's look at my problem or your problem or Paul's problem. And he begins in uh, chapter, chapter uh, or um, verse 12 and uh, then walks down through the passage. So we're going to look at, at 13 through 19. He starts out 
did that which was good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it is used what is good to bring about my... Is it used what is good to bring about my death? So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Let's just stop there a little bit. And most of us, if we've not read, we've probably heard of the uh, story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I haven't read it. I don't really care to, but I understand the concept. So Dr. Jekyll was actually a, um, a, do a, a, a doctor. He was nice, good, he was kind to his patients, and he did good things. But he developed this potion that he drank, and after he drank this potion in the same body, he became Mr. Hyde. He became a person totally opposite. He was evil, mean, and caused people horror in their life. And someone asked uh, John Paul Stevenson, where did you get the, 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 the idea to write such a thing? He said, oh, that was simple. Because all I had to do was look within myself. Amen. Wow. Yeah, it's theirs. All we had to do is look within ourselves sometimes to see that we do have an inward battle at times. The first thing, that, or the comment that I have there under 13 and 14, if the law is designated as good, why does it promote sin in my life? Last week, we uh, talked about the, that uh, the law is, is simply good because it identifies what is right and what is wrong. We don't have to guess anymore. That's a good thing. I was uh, watching a video this week of a young lady that was uh, talking about her life story, and she was asked a question about uh, the, the, the city that she was visiting, that there are certain ethnic groups that live here and certain ethnic groups that are here and certainly ethnic groups that are here, but then there is a law that is passed for the whole city. And the question was asked, if there's a law for the whole city, why do certain ethnic groups break that law more than others? And her response was, there's nothing wrong with the law. It's just that the, that ethnic group choose to break it more than others. And like, go girl, you're preaching my sermon from last week. And we hadn't even met. And that's exactly right. The law is good. For instance, if you would want to go get a job... And there would be no job description. What would you do? Would you, would you take that job? You walk in and you do the interview and, and the person interviewed and said, we don't have a job description for you. We'll just kind of make it out as you go. See how that works out for you. Now, you know if you're in that situation and you have no job description that the boss certainly has expectations of what they want and what they're looking for. And it would be guesswork on your part, right? You'd have to figure it out as you go. And so up until the laws of Moses and even Jesus writing the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount are really principles that we need to live by to please God and to bless others. That's just simply what they, what they are. And if you would walk into that situation with no job description, you'd had to guess along the way. You'd figure it out. You'd probably get shouted at or called on the carpet or, you know, whatever. But eventually you'd figure it out. But it's good to have a job description before you start. And that's simply what the law is. It's an understanding of what God is looking for, and it's making it clear. Now, the reality is, can we keep that or not? And we learned last week that we couldn't. That's why we need Jesus in our life in order to do that. So it's a, uh, as, we, as we look down through, the next thing that I have there for you in 
verses 15 and 16, Paul says, why can't I, I can't understand why this back and forth within me. He writes that in uh, verse 15 and 16. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Paul's trying to figure out this Jekyll and Hyde within him. He's trying to figure out why, why is this back and forth within himself and the, the, the choices that he is making that he's really, really unsure about. You know, I think that um, there's a difference in society between a wartime mentality and a peacetime mentality. If you think about those that have uh, grown up in America or so, even in a nation under wartime mentality, there's a discipline that is in society because they are involved in something bigger than themselves. It's not about them anymore. It's about the nation or about the safety that's at stake or the freedom that's at, that's at, at stake. And so you, you have to re recognize that in a wartime, in a nation, there's a certain uh, amount of, well, this is true and this is not true and this is settled and that's it. But we've been in a peacetime mentality for a long time. And what happens is that over time we begin to drift into the individual deciding what's right for them and what's right and for, uh, not right for them and what's right for you and what's not right for you it comes from the individual, not from a law anymore or not from the sense of something bigger than us. And we've kind of drifted as a society into that way of thinking. It's all about me. I was uh, processing the, what's happening in women's sports where you have uh, men that want to appear as a woman and then sign up to participate in women's sports. And I saw this headline recently, it made a lot of sense to me, that you don't play sports according to your identity, you play sports according to your biology. I thought, duh, that makes sense. Because men are normally, they have a bigger lung capacity, they have stronger muscles, that's just how they've been given and, and created by God in that way because of biology. And so, again, people are mixed up. Thank God that that's beginning to get straightened out at certain levels. But it just makes no sense. And, again, people were saying, well, this is my identity, then I need to, the right to play where my identity is. No, you play by your biology. And that's why it's unfair and it's unjust and needs to be stood up against. So we have all these battles that... Uh, Again, that we're, we're facing, and Paul says, you know, I'm just, I can't understand the struggle that uh, I'm faced with within me. So we continue on in uh, verses 17 through 19. The statement there that I have is, it, it must be sin at work because it's not my intent. Let's look at 17 through 19. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell within me. That is my sinful nature. That should be in parentheses. So he is recognizing that he does have good within him, but not related to his nature that was inherited from Adam. And he continues, For I have the desire to do what is good, but cannot carry it out. Let me read 19 yet. For I do... for. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. 
This I keep on doing. Again, it's a lot of uh, uh, tongue-tied gymnastics running through that. But Paul's, Paul's trying to, to work it out in many different angles of the very thing that he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the very thing that he wants to do, uh, or the very thing that he, that he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing. I mean, that's the summary in, in what he's saying here. But he identifies that, that sin is at work. And we'll, we'll look at that in the next, next uh, section. The thing that... Um, that uh, I, I, I think that Paul is uh, trying to, to work out here is that he's really uh, looking at, I, I want to obey God. I want to, to honor the Lord. But I find myself, it seems to be easier to disobey or to do what is, I know is not right. And we, we all have that battles, uh, that battle within us. It's, uh, it's definitely a, a part of, of what we all face in our lives. And uh, he begins to, to point out how since the Holy Spirit is in his life, then he um, can, uh, can isolate out that it's sin at work versus what he desires in his life. Now, there's a fundamental shift, and I, wanna, I want you to help you understand that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could not live within an individual. That, that didn't happen until after Jesus rose from the dead, where God came to live within us by Holy Spirit. That couldn't happen. It was impossible. Now, the Holy Spirit came upon people. It came around people to do what God wanted, but never lived within people. And so sometimes I get the question, it seems like when people read the Old Testament, God killed a lot of people. Well, is he a, you know, into genocide? No, absolutely not. What God was doing in the Old Testament when he was killing people, he was actually killing sin because he had no way to separate out what was going wrong in their life and what was actually right. So he was actually just killing sin, that's all, and it happened to be in people because there was not able to separate out yet. But in the New Testament, he doesn't kill people. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers that are against us. That are coming, and so he expands our understanding because Holy Spirit is living within us. That there's a part of us, Doctor Jekyll, that is good as following Jesus, and there's Mister Hyde that pops up at different times, and we're like appalled at why this is taking place. So again, just a clarification between the old and the new. So number two, we get to the perpetrator, which is sin. Paul identifies. Let's look at twenty through. 24 in how Paul begins to isolate out that it's not him, but it's sin at work. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I no longer, I, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work at me, in, in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul lays it out there. He, he discovers the, the, uh, the, the uh, perpetrator here. He says, that I've determined that the, uh, I've determined what the, or identified the intruder but I'm powerless to stop it. So he's identified that sin is at work in him, but he feels powerless to stop it. I don't know if any of you own or probably have seen a codependent dog. Maybe you have one of those. 
I mean, you, you know, they follow you from room to room. And you try to communicate to the dog, hey, you can stay here because I'm just going in the kitchen and get something. I'll be right back, but they don't get it. They're, they're following you all the way around the house, even though it would be easier for them to understand you're going to be right back. They can stay on their rug and be content, but they're just following you around. Codependent dog. You go to the bathroom and you shut the door so you get some privacy. What do they do? They're on the outside clawing on it and, and barking, you know, for you to come out because they can't see you. They're codependent. That would be like Paul describing what sin is, like a codependent animal, <laughs> that it's separate from us, but yet it's always hanging around, and we can't seem to shake it. That's what Paul's describing here in this, uh, this, uh, 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 the, the, the perpetrator of sin. He says here, I desire to obey God, but the internal opposition is too great. Ah. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever tried to stop a bad habit and start a good one. Or maybe you are not doing something that you want to do and you just can't get started. Um, you know, both have happened to me. Recently, uh, the Lord has been telling me I, I need to write a book on a certain subject and, and, uh, and I'm agreeing with him. I just can't get started. Or I've gotten started. I'm very inconsistent, put it that way. And uh, I watched a video about um, uh, habits, how to, how to get started with a habit, change an old one or start a new one or start a new one. And, and um, it, it was really good. It was very practical. In fact, after I watched that video, I, um, I began to implement a portion of it. I identified a day of the week, a time that I was going to write, and I actually designated a place that would be good without distraction that I could go. Still didn't work. Totally, just, just not, not working. In fact, uh, he says that if you want, to, you want to change a habit or start a new one, there's four things that are needed in order to get it done. Number one, you have to notice that you either have a bad habit and want to change it into a new or you want to start something new. You've got to notice it first, be aware. Second is you have to want it. You have to want it. And then third low, you have to do something. You have to do it. And then fourthly, you have to like it. You have to like the results. So it's noticing, wanting, doing, and then liking. If I looked over and I saw a, a cup of coffee, I would say, I want that. All right? And then I would, uh, uh, as, a, as a result of noticing, I would want it. I would go and get a cup of coffee. And then I would take my first drink and I would go, oh, that's so good. I would like it. And so then I would repeat it the next morning because it was a great experience that day. So I'm in this place where I'm practicing, but it's still not happening. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still struggling. I'm not, I'm not going and, and doing this thing that I want to do and God's called me to do. And so I watched the video again. And he gave this illustration of a lady that uh, she exercised every morning in a big city. And the only thing that she concentrated on was getting out of bed and calling a cab. That's all she concentrated on. She knew once she got in the cab, she wasn't going to talk the, track, talk the cab driver out of taking her back home until she exercised. She knew that. But the only thing she concentrated on was the first thing is I'd get out of bed and get in the taxi. And then everything else would follow. I thought, okay, God, that's novel. The only thing I have to concentrate on in order to, to get this thing going is to climb the steps. That's all I focus on. 
My time's come, I just climb the steps. And, when I, and, and it's working. The last couple of weeks, it's working. I just get done, and before I talk myself out of it, it's too tired, I'm too distracted, I want to do this, I just think about, just climb the steps, Bobby, and it'll be done. And it's great. It's amazing. When I get there, I get writing, I review what I've written, I like it, and I'm excited about after an hour and a half writing more and thinking more of ways to how I want to structure this book. But in order to get me started, I just have to think about just climb the steps and everything falls into place. So we all have inner battles that we face. And I believe that God has a way through because he puts something on your heart and my heart and sometimes we get stuck along the way just not ready to implement that which we've been called to and he has a way through. I, a point there that I have is coming to verse 24 where Paul, he's just like, he reaches a helpless and hopeless state. Let me read it for you. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Wow, what a hopeless state. Paul's like, I, I just, I can't win the war anymore. I want to give up. I, uh, I want to do right. I do wrong. I'm, I'm in this mess. I'm always losing the tug of war. I'm in a, in, a, in a terrible, terrible state. You know, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That came right out of Romans chapter 7, verse 24. And Paul is in this battle of trying to, to, uh, to overcome now, he uses the word rescue. Another word that can be used there is deliverance. And I, I dove into that word deliverance, rescue, deliverance. And what I found is that that word actually means to stop the flow. Meaning that whatever you're disobeying in or not honoring God with or not doing what's on your heart that would bless him and bless you, that when you're not doing that, you're actually stopping the flow of the Spirit of God coming through you into and out of your life. And I love that word picture because that's what happens. Rather than in a few moments, he's going to talk about how we should think of ourselves when we're in a situation where we're trying to break through or we're trying to overcome or we're trying to take an obstacle that's in the way, out of the way. He tells us how to think about ourselves in a few moments. But right now, he's saying that I need to be rescued out of, I need to be delivered from this, this and, and there's only one person that can do it. And he comes and shows us in number three, God's promise in verse 25. And he makes it very clear all the what he's battling all the way through the end of this chapter. He comes to verse 25 and he says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through, uh, through Jesus Christ our Savior. He's very clear. Jesus Christ is the only one that can deliver him out of or can deliver him through. Some of us uh, attended a um, leadership conference through the family of churches that we're a part of, and, and uh, my pastor was, uh, was giving his uh, input, and he talked about how that uh, when God called people in a vision that he had for them, when it, God called them into leadership to lead that vision of whatever it was, 
that oftentimes they came up with excuses. You know, Moses says, I can't talk well, and what if the people won't listen? And, and uh, uh, Isaiah thought he was too impure. He couldn't, he couldn't. Uh, and, uh, you know, Joshua, he was afraid. The giants are too big, and God said, be strong and courageous. And so all of those, all of the uh, Gideon, he was the one that said, I'm the least and, and the worst. I, I could never do anything that, that would be a trust, you know, a complimentary. And all these people came up with these excuses of what God called them to do. And they all are related to fear. Some aspect of fear. And that's what, that's what uh, Ron was bringing out. But then the answer that God gave to all of those different aspects of fear, God gave one answer to every one of them. And he said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I, I'm in you. I'll help you. And I'll be with you. And, and I think that's a, that's a very profound statement. And Jesus said he'll be with us. That's one of the last things he said before he departed. I'll be with you all the way to the end of the age. Who was he talking about? He was talking about Holy Spirit. Last night we were here soaking. And, and uh, when, I, when I first uh, started, the Lord uh, took me to this phrase. I wasn't quite sure where it was found. I knew it was in the Bible, but aware. And so I kind of put the phrase in my uh, search engine and it came up. And I wasn't aware that it actually was in Exodus 33 where it talks about the presence of God and Moses and God having this, this discussion about whether or not God's going to go with them or not. And, um, and uh, Moses, Moses is in this conversation, and, and he says, uh, um, I don't know who you're going to send with me. And, um, and, and, and so they, they have this, this uh, conversation about that. Oh, and he says, um, I know that you need to uh, teach me so that I have favor with you. So those are two of Moses' dialogue with God. Teach me so I can have favor with you, and who are you going to send with us? And I thought to myself, both of those questions are answered in Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have favor already with God. You immediately have favor. Don't ever think if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have favor with God. It's a given. It's an absolute. That's a part of our righteousness. You have favor. And so if somebody or the enemy tries to, well, you don't have favor with God. No, bunk that. That's, that's not true. You have favor with God. And then the second thing is, I don't know who you're going to send. Jesus answered that. The Holy Spirit will come and he will be with you. He will be in you, even to the end of the age. And so he answered that one. Again, Moses didn't have those two understandings, but we have that understanding now. And uh, Paul is, is, uh, is, is bringing that out. So, I, again, I thought it was so, so helpful to understand that the fears that we have and the struggles that were taking place, God says he will be with you and never forget that. A comment I have under number three is, when a, uh, with a renewed mind, I win. With a carnal mind, I lose. Paul says in 7.25, the last part, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Um, let me, let me uh, jump. I, I jumped rail. I'm coming back here. At the end of uh, 25, it says, So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to to the law of sin. Paul's bringing out the, the idea 
that when in your mind, if you focus what, how Pastor Billy started out the, 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 the service this morning is what are you focusing on? Things above or things below? What's your focus? You can be aware of things below, but if you let that be your constant, it'll drag you down and take you out. In fact, you'll enter into an inner war. But you can be aware of the things below, but focus on things above. And Paul says, this is the key here. It's really what you focus on, what you, where you place your mind at, that then the power of the Holy Spirit living within you will bring you into being a winner. But if you choose to focus on the things of the carnal mind and the things of this world, then you'll be in turmoil. It, 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 again, just the given, it's where we put our focus that God works through that. And I think it's important for us to be reminded of and understand in um, Romans, where I launched into a few moments ago, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, Paul writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, he ha because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. I love that translation of the New Living, just how it words it and, and how it emphasizes the, the need for presenting ourselves and that we get to know God's will. Well, I could stop here at the end of, of chapter 7, but the reality is that when this was originally written, there wasn't chapter and verse. But there were added later for convenience of finding places in the Bible. And, but I'm going to jump into chapter 8 because we have to understand that coming out of what we, what we have and, and what we're heading into, I want to give you a taste this Sunday, but we're going to dive into it more next week. And... What Paul brings out here when he starts chapter 8 is this. The penalty is removed, the fight is settled, and peace reigns. That's good news. The penalty is removed, the fight is settled, and peace reigns with Jesus and the Holy Spirit within. And here's what he says, starting in chapter 8. I'm going to read through verse 6. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just stop there and say, no condemnation. What it means is that oftentimes that when we're in a battle, an inward battle, we tend to condemn ourselves that we're even there. That other people were saying, why don't you have the victory? You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough this. You need to pray longer. You need to confess harder. And we end up condemning ourselves. And Paul makes it clear, if you've been in a battle or are in a battle, do not condemn yourself. Simply say, I'm in a battle. I've got, I've got some things in the way. I, Jesus is with me. He's going to help me take it out of the way. He's going to bring me through. He's the victor. Therefore, I'm going to follow him through. Do not condemn yourself. So Paul makes that clear when he steps into chapter 8. He goes on to verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. There you have it. Hallelujah is right. Amen. What a way to end. The reality is that we do go through times of tug of war within, whether it's insecurities that we're working out, whether it's fears that have come upon us, whether it's doubts that we have. And sometimes those things are just internal that are going on between figuring out what's the lie and what's the truth. And we've all battled them at times, if we would be honest about it. And the reality is that's a part of the sanctification process of working out our salvation. We have it because it's been gifted to us with a righteous gift. We didn't earn that. We were fully justified. We were fully favored. We were fully able to come to the throne room of Christ anytime we wanted to. But now we begin to grow in understanding of what it means to be a son or a daughter in Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so it's a process, ladies and gentlemen. Sanctification is a process. But in the process, Paul says we should never condemn yourself that you're battling in something or battling through something. Don't let the enemy do it to you. Don't let other people do it to you. But just be aware that we do face battles, but the reality is when Christ is with us, we're going to work through it. And we're going to go through it. We just have to stay the course. And the scripture is very clear in that, that sometimes we can pull out beforehand before we overcome. I've seen that in my own life personally. I've seen that in our marriage. I've seen that in church settings that we just walk through and we continue to realize that God is with us. And yet the internal struggle is real. It is a battle. Let's not condemn each other for having that happened at different times. But we should never get stuck. Never get stuck in that place. And we know that God is bringing us through. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us through this passage. Lord, we don't want to ever get stuck in the latter half of Romans chapter 7. Lord, we want to understand what's happening but at the same time, always come to the end of the chapter and knowing that our victory is in Jesus, through Jesus, that he is, he's the channel through which our victory comes. And he brings that to us by Holy Spirit that lives within. God, it's an amazing way to, to uh, think about how you've called us to live in this life. Where in the present world that we live, it's always pressing around of, 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 of focus on self. 
But God, you've called us to focus on you, things above. And then how we can serve others with the freedom that we have found. Through testimony or through acts of service or through a kind word or encouragement. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are the one that uh, allows us to overcome. And you've set the course for us. you set the example in Jesus. And so we have the path laid out for us. And may we never stop early, but maybe we engage again. There's two things that I felt like the Lord was inviting you to consider today. The first is maybe you are in an intense inner battle right now. You could be in a place where you're, whether it's in your mind or a situation, but it's affecting you and you feel like you're losing rather than winning. I want to encourage you this. In a few moments, there's going to be people here that are going to be available to pray. And I want you to come and get prayer before you leave today. You might have to wait a little bit, but don't let that discourage you. If you're in an inner battle, you're in an inner battle, come and get prayer today from the folks that are available to you. Though, if you, if you don't know Jesus here this morning, the way that the battle gets started and eventually victory is through saying yes to Jesus making him Lord because he has all authority and power to dispel anything that we're battling from the enemy or from ourselves or from the world and these folks can help you get started with Jesus if you need to say yes to Jesus this morning very very powerful very exciting way to live it's life giving it's the only way to live and then some of you may be in a in a situation like I was as far as wanting to start a good habit or maybe break an old one and start a good one and you're just stuck you're just stuck like I was I, I knew I wanted to write I knew that God was telling me to write and I just was stuck I believe that the Lord has the wisdom to release over you just like he did me climb the stairs I believe the Lord have wisdom to give you if you're just stuck and changing a habit breaking one starting a new one or maybe just starting a new one I believe the Lord has the wisdom for you today and again I want to call you to come forward and get prayer and just say I'm stuck in breaking a habit it can it can be multiple things I mean it doesn't necessarily need to be something that is uh, uh, not that it's not bad it, not, it, it may not be sinful okay put it that way but it may be just something God's put on your heart to start and you just feel stuck again come and get prayer so that uh, the Lord can loose that and give him wisdom for you just like he did me. Father, thank you for uh, just, wow, being such a good father. You really are a good dad. And you sent your son, Jesus, to show us what it was like to get the victory in this human body that we live in. And then you said, I'm going back to my father, but I'm not leaving you alone. My Holy Spirit will come. And we'll be with you all the way to the end. And so we're grateful, God, with who you've given us. The enemy, it's impossible for him to win on the other side of the tug of war. We're on the winning side of the tug of war. Because you're on our side. And you're with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.